So uh, you should be in Deuteronomy chapter 14 with me. We've been talking about living as God's treasured possession. So we've, we've seen that God calls a, a people to himself, and they become his treasured possession, not because of anything in and of themselves, but by God's grace, they become part of his treasured people, his, his chosen people, his treasured possession. And then God calls his people to live like that. So you're his treasured possession. What do you do? You live like God's treasured possession. And it's, it's a phrase we not only see here in Deuteronomy, it's a phrase we see in First Peter in the New Testament to describe the church. We are God's treasured possession. And God would call you and I to live like it, to live as God's treasured possession. We talked last week about how that means fighting worldliness and what that looks like. And this morning, we're going to see that it means joyful giving. Living as God's treasured possession means that we are joyful givers. And so hopefully, this will be encouraging to you this morning as well. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me as we read from God's Word, I'm going to begin in verse 21 of chapter 14. And we'll read a little bit from chapter 15 as well. Later in the sermon, we'll look at chapter 26 also. Moses says to the people, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Verse 1 of 15, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of the towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, But you shall open your hand to him and and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother. You give him nothing. 
and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be begrudging when you give it to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. You may be seated. And Father, we do ask for your continued grace as we worship you this morning. Help us to worship you well as we look at your word. And throughout this week, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was having a, a conversation with a friend from Texas, and he was, he was sharing with me some of the struggles that he's had finding a church and being committed to a church. And we were talking through that, and, and I felt bad for him. And, and he was... Uh, he was discouraged. I wouldn't say that he was bitter, but, but he was definitely discouraged and, and maybe more than a little cynical. And he described some of the difficulties that he had had. And he told me, he said, you know, one of the things that really frustrates me, he said, I feel like I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on the church. I've given thousands and thousands of dollars to the church and really not gotten anything in return. I, I haven't even seen anything good come from it. Just a bunch of pastors getting rich. To which I said, well, that doesn't sound all bad. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I said, no, I, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. And, and, and I would say, you know, as, as I think about giving, I would say giving to the local church specifically, but giving also to, to missions, to giving to people in the church, giving to associated ministries of the church. It, not only has it been one of the most joyful things I've done with my finances, giving to the church and to people in the church and associated ministries, it's been one of the, the most enjoyable things in my life, period. I've, I've, I've found great joy in giving, and so I, I felt very sad for him that he hasn't had that same experience that I've had, right? In fact, I was uh, this Wednesday. I was at the Engage conference where some of our youth were presenting papers and, and giving these presentations, and they were talking about different things to the church. And I was excited to be there, but I was a little bit behind where I wanted to be in terms of sermon preparation. And so I was excited whenever one of the kids in our church stood up and started talking about giving because I thought, okay, I can use this. Um, unfortunately, it was only four minutes. Um, which I know some of you are saying, and, but um, couldn't quite use it all. But he, he ended with this. I, I can't remember exactly how he put it. I can't remember exactly how he put it. But as he's, he's talking, he said, at the very end, he said, and so I hope this has helped you. He, he talked about how and where and why to give. He says, and I hope this has helped you know how to give and to give with joy. I end with that word, joy. And I thought that's, that's exactly right. We want to be people who, who give with joy. That's what God desires his people to be as well. We're going through the Pentateuch, and we've talked several times about giving because it comes up a lot in the, the Pentateuch in these five books of the Bible. And this, this past week, as I've been thinking about giving in our church, I have been encouraged. And there have been several specific instances that have allowed me to kind of feel encouragement because I've been thinking about money in the church. 
This is kind of the time of year where we're beginning to think about our, our budget for next year, our next fiscal year that begins in May. And so I've been hearing from different ministries and different staff members have been talking, okay, this is what we think we need here and this is what we think we need here. As I've been looking at the budget and kind of comparing it to last year, I, th- I thought, man, we have some really generous people in our church. God is giving to our church through very generous people. In fact, I noticed this, and, and I don't look at the specifics of giving. I don't know who gives what. I don't know. I don't follow the budget totally, completely, maybe the way even I should. But I, I did notice this. I noticed that we have, uh, every year we've increased our budget, and we haven't increased it by great deals of amount, but the amount that we've increased it most years has been greater than the new number of people. In other words, we're growing financially at a greater rate than we're growing numerically in terms of the number of people here, which is, I think, how it should be, because what does that mean? It means that people are giving more generously, which is incredibly exciting. I was at a Tuesday night meeting with our orphan care ministry, and the orphan care ministry was talking about people who are adopting, and they said, boy, it'd be nice if we were able to give this amount to this family and this amount to that family, and we look at the numbers, and we have that amount to to give. Why do we have that amount? Because God's people have been generous. Was talking, or we got an email about missions, some special missions giving, and special projects, and we have because of God's people, we have the ability to, to give to those things. So I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged as I think about those things. And yet, you know, there, there are some things that we'd say we, we want to grow in, right? In fact, I've, I've never talked to a Christian who, who has said, you know what? Um, I feel like I have completely arrived in the area of giving. In terms of the amount I give and my heart attitude, that I give as I, as I think about it, I really just don't see any way in which I can possibly improve. I've never had that conversation with a spiritually mature believer. It's always been, hey, I, I'm excited about giving. I, I want to give. I want to continue to grow in my heart attitude toward giving. And I, I want to grow in, in terms of not trusting uh, in, the, in the physical things that I have for my sustenance, but trusting in God. So this passage, these passages that we're looking at this morning are incredibly helpful for us because we see God's people, his treasured possession, being called to live in a way through their giving that reflects that they're his treasured possession. And so here's kind of the main idea that we're going to look at this morning as we, as we talk about being God's treasured possession. We're going to see this as believers. The more I give joyfully in such a way that I proclaim that, that Christ is my treasure, the more both you and I gain. So as a, a new covenant believer, the more that I'm giving joyfully in a way that, that reflects and proclaims, hey, Jesus Christ is my greatest treasure, the more that is, is true of my giving, the, the more that I'm gaining and the more that the people in my community of faith are gaining. You can say it very simply, the more I give, the more we gain. And I don't mean just the more I give like in terms of the amount I give, but the more I give in line with how God would have me give, the more I give with, with joy and reflecting that Christ is my greatest treasure, the more that is, the, is the, the, the thing that's characteristically true of my giving, the more the whole body of Christ gains, the more joy I have. Hopefully that's going to be incredibly encouraging for you this morning as we touch on some principles for joyful giving as God's treasure possession. 
Here's the first one. Number one, joyful giving requires planning, right? Joyful giving requires planning. Look at the, the text there, chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, verse, verse 22. And, and look at what Moses writes, what he tells the people. He says, you shall tithe, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. You say, well, what, what does that word tithe mean? Literally, that word tithe means to, to give a tenth to. So you're, you're taking what you have and you're giving 10% of it. That's, that's a tithe. And sometimes when we think about the Old Testament, we think, well, in the Old Testament, they, ha- they had all this stuff and they, they gave 10%. That was their tithe. That's, that's not exactly correct. And by exactly correct, I'm just being nice. It's not correct, okay? Here, here's what we know. It's hard for us to know exactly, every time we encounter a, a tithe in the Old Testament, so, sometimes it's, it's hard to distinguish, is this two events or is this elaborating on another tithe that was described elsewhere? But what is clear is that there were multiple tithes that the people of Israel were to give. This tithe is describing giving 10% of the things that the land produces. But there are other times that, that Israel gives. So there's multiple tithes, first of all, and then there are also times where they, they give an offering. There's, there's times where they participate in feasts or in festivals. And so the average Israelite was giving far more than 10%. Some have said maybe as much as, as 30% or perhaps even more. But here, this, this passage is describing one of the tithes that they're to give. And what's very clear as we look at this passage and others is that if you are God's possession, you're to recognize that everything you have belongs to God. All, all blessings come from God. The things you have now come from God. He's the, the sustainer. He's the source of all good things. That's what the Israelites were to understand. And the tithe, God's tithes belong to him in a special way. And then what's more, the, the giving that the Israelites were to engage in, and I think this is, this is very beautiful, the giving that the Israelites were to engage in was built into the very rhythm of their lives, right? So, monthly, quarterly, festivals, yearly, there were these, these regular times in which the Israelites would take what God had given them and, and use it in the way that God had told them to, in, in a special way. Giving wasn't something that just kind of happened arbitrarily, but giving was something that was worked into the very structure and rhythm of their lives. That's what we see being true of God's people in the Old Testament. He said, well, is that true in the New Testament? We have some examples of that for New Covenant believers as well, and the answer is, is yes. In fact, you can uh, leave your finger there in Deuteronomy, or if you're digital, I don't know, do something different. Um, and go to, to, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8 and, and 9. I'll get, there, I'll get there in just a second. But as you look at the book of Romans and First and Second Corinthians, you may not have noticed this before, but there is a, a special project that is mentioned in each of those books, a project that seems to have consumed much of Paul's energy and time. Maybe, maybe you didn't notice this. But for example, First Corinthians describes this project, and the project was giving to needy believers in Jerusalem. So this this 
collection that Paul is trying to take for needy believers in Jerusalem consumes a lot of his thought during this time. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, Concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and, and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he says, hey, look, here's our goal. Here's our, our goal is this, this project that I'm working on for the churches in Jerusalem. And we're not just going to all of a sudden arrive there. I, I want us to, to do some things, plan out some things. Every beginning of every week, take a collection, set it aside. And so when I come, it'll be there, right? Now you come into 2 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about the giving of the Macedonian churches. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, okay, now Corinthians, well, let's talk about you. He says in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 9, I know of your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So what is he saying? Hey, Corinthians, I've been talking to the Macedonians. And I told them about your giving. And when I told them about your giving and how excited you were for this project, it really pumped them up. Second Corinthians 8 describes how much they gave. Now, Paul says, we just need to make sure we're on the same page. I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. He says, guys, uh, here's, here's what could potentially happen. I go to Macedonia and say, man, those Corinthians, man, those Corinthians are excited about this project. And the Macedonians say, well, we are too. Let's give, give, give. And then the Macedonians come to Corinth and the Corinthians are like, oh, right. Oh, we totally forgot about that thing. Uh, sorry? And Paul, oh, how embarrassing. The Corinthians, oh, how embarrassing. We're humiliated. I thought it necessary, Paul says, to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We don't want to get there and you'd be like, oh, forgot, Fine. Fine, fine, fine. Pass the offering plate again. Yeah. That's not what they want to do. Now, here's, here's the sad reality. Joyful giving requires planning. And the sad reality is that, that many of us struggle with this, right? Many of us struggle with financial planning in general. Many of us struggle with, with financial planning as it comes to, to giving as well. But joyful giving requires it. I saw a, a study recently from the science of generosity. And I, I don't know how old this, this study is. It's maybe a couple years old. But they, they found this. They found that 25%, I think this might be 25% of, of Christians. I'm not sure. 25% of, of people in the survey said that they tithe. Right? They said that they give 10%. But then they kind of looked at the books. They looked at the numbers. And, and then they found out this. And, and I, don't think that, I don't think those 25% were necessarily a line. I think they, they really thought they, they gave like that. But then they found out this. They found that only 3% give even 5%. Of the, all the people surveyed, 25% said, yeah, we, we, we give 10% to charity. Really, only 3% gave even 5%. That's, that's sad, right? So why is it sad? Well, it's sad 
because it means that you are not participating potentially in all the exciting things that, that are going on around you in terms of ministry. The Corinthians were in danger of not being able to participate in this gift to the church of Jerusalem that they had been excited about. They, you know, if, if, and I think this is true of us too. If, if I approached the average Christian at Bethany Community Church, if I approached the average believer and said, hey, are you excited about missions? Absolutely I'm excited about missions. Are you excited about the, the children in our church? Of course, I love the, no one loves the kids in the church more than I do. But, but how sad is it how sad is it if you go to church, if you go to our church building on a Wednesday night and you see the Awana ministry and you see the youth meeting in, I've been told the youth are meeting like in every square inch and, and nook and cranny of that building. There's, there's kids sitting on like salt packets and stuff like that. I mean, they, these, not like small salt packets, like big ones. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There are, the building's being well used. How sad is it for you to go there and see all the ministry going like, man. I've got to start giving to the building fund. <laughs> I've got to start giving to the church. How sad is it to see all the ministries that are taking place and realizing I, I had nothing to do with this? How sad is it to see, or let me put it this way, how joyful is it to see a family in our church bring home a child through the, the, the joy of adoption and to see that child come into the, the home of this family and to be a part of our Sunday school ministry and to be a part of our one, to be part of our church. And, and how exciting it is to say, I, I was a part of that. I was a part of that brother and sister's life. What a joy. How sad is it to think, I had nothing to do with that because I'm a terrible planner. There is joy that comes from giving and being able to be a part of each other's life and the ministries of the church. How ex- This morning, the, the Peltons are here, missionaries in Chicago. How exciting is it to think I'm part of that ministry? When the Isiahos came, and we, how exciting is it for you to know I, I'm a giver to Bethany. I help pay for them to get here. I'm help training the church in South Africa. Man, that's exciting. Requires planning. Require, we cannot have the joy of participating in ministry if we aren't giving. Can't give if we don't plan, right? Joyful giving, number two, requires, it it needs sacrifice. It needs sacrifice. Joyful giving needs sacrifice. You come to verse 23, it says, you're going to go before the Lord your God, the place that he chooses. And it talks again about you're eating the tithe of your grain. So there's a, a portion that's going to the Levite. There's a portion that's going to the Lord. And there's the, this portion that they're eating as well. And, and it's, it's a tithe. And again, a tithe is, is 10%. We're talking about an agrarian culture. And so that's a significant portion of, of all their produce. You're talking about a, a culture that didn't necessarily know how this year's crops were going to go, wouldn't know how next year's crops were going to go. They, were on the, they could potentially be on the brink of starvation very, very quickly. And you're saying, hey, go ahead and give 10% of that right, right away. That's, that's sacrifice, plus all the other gifts that they were to do. But look at the end of the verse. And what's the purpose of this? Why would God tell us that joyful giving needs, needs sacrifice? He says, This is so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. If giving isn't sacrificial, a key component of the truth 
that giving teaches us is missing. So what does that mean? Giving is supposed to be regular. It's supposed to be a large amount. It's supposed to be some sort of sacrifice. And as sacrifice takes place, what else is taking place? It produces in the person who gives to this level, it produces a sense of awareness of the value of that which I'm giving up, which means I recognize the value of the one to whom I'm giving it. And it requires me, if I'm giving a significant amount, it requires me to to trust. And if I'm not giving an amount that causes me to recognize the value of God and causes me to, to trust in him, then I'm failing I'm failing to communicate a a true, important principle that God would have me understand. Hopefully many of you are are working your way through your taxes by God's grace. Maybe some of you are just totally done and have have sent those things off already. It's kind of a stressful time of year, I know, for many of us as we we finish up the taxes. But it's also a time of year where you're maybe a little bit more aware of, of what you're spending where. You know, you go through... TurboTax or whatever program it is, how much you spend here, how much you spend there. There are probably a lot of things that you spent your money on this year that you, if I asked you how much did you spend on this, you'd be like, I, I have no idea. If I said, well, how much did you spend on, on toothpaste this, this last year? You're like, I, I don't know, it was six bucks or something. I have no idea, right? Or how much did you spend on, on uh, straws? You know, I, I don't know, it's, it's tiny, right? But there'd be some other budget categories that would stick with you. How much did you spend this last year in your car? Well, it was, it was significant. Some car repairs, bought a car, whatever. H- how much did you spend on, on your house? Oh, yeah, I, you know, we had this repair and that repair, and we added this. And it was, it was big chunks of money that you're, you're conscious of. How much did you spend on food? Teenagers in the house. I don't know. They're like locusts. They eat the whole thing. And, it was a lot. You know. Our giving to God should be a significant amount. It should be an amount that we're aware of, that we're thinking of. Not in the sense of, oh man, I spent so much money on God this year. But no, it's, it's hey, you know, this was a significant part of my life. This, 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 this is an amount that I'm, I'm conscious of, I'm thinking of, because, because God has called me to do this. God desires us to experience the, the joy of giving sacrificially. There needs to be value to what to, you give. And now th- this, this looks different for different people. And I think sometimes as a church we're too, like we don't want to brag about what we give. And I think there's, there's right cautions about that. But I think sometimes we're not open with this area of our life and, and calling each other, hey, help me understand what sacrifice looks like in my life. It's one of the most common questions I get when I'm discipling people. It's like, hey, I know I'm supposed to give sacrificially, but how much? How, what, how do other people do this? I'm like, I, I don't know. We don't talk about this very often. There was a couple I know that was getting ready to, to send a, a kid to college, and the kid said, you know, I want to go to this the school, and the parents said, you know what? Uh, just to be honest with you, we, we, can't, we can't afford that. This is what we've decided to do with it. over the last 20 years of your life, 18 years of your life. We've given at least 10% of our, our income to the church. So let's say that's on average $7,000 a year or whatever it is, and you, you multiply that by 20, or, and that's, that's a significant chunk of change, right? That's a significant chunk of change. That's, that's, a, that's a college education or two, right? 
They said, look, this, this is a decision we as a family made before you were born, and this is, this is where we're at. During the building campaign, there was a family that, that was uh, aware that the leadership had challenged the church. Hey, you know, we, this is how much uh, we need, and this is kind of averages out to each person saying, this is what I give in a year, and I'm going to double that and give that over three years. And that's kind of what they, and the family came and said, you know what, uh, we were thinking about buying a, a minivan, and, and uh, we've, we've just committed hey, we're not going to spend that much money unless we're also spending, on top of our tithe, more than that on, on this, this building campaign. And that's, that's sacrifice. We want, want, want to do that. Now, next year they did something different. Not every family is going to do that. and It's going to be too little for some, too much for others. But here's, here's some questions to ask yourself, right? Here's some questions. Does the amount that I'm giving require trust, Right? In other words, am I giving to such a degree that I have to trust God to, to meet all the, the other things in, in my life, right? Does this amount require me to, to trust God? Does it change my standard of living? The, the amount that I give should be sacrificial in the sense that I, I can't live at the same standard of living as other people because I'm, I'm giving a lot away. I'm investing in different ways. Does it dramatically impact my life? And then this is a, a crucial question. Would the church be healthy if everyone gave like me? Would, would not just the ch- my local church, would my local church be healthy if everyone gave like I am giving? But also, would the gospel of Christ be being proclaimed throughout the world if everyone gave like I gave? Would the needs of the people in the church be met if, ever, met if everyone gave like I gave? Those are some helpful questions, I think, to ask ourselves as we talk about giving sacrificially. Thirdly, joyful giving allows flexibility. Joyful giving allows flexibility. I I love, again, I use the word beautiful to describe what happens in the next few verses. He describes the situation. He says, if the way is too long for you. So in other words, you have 10% of your produce and you live a long way away from the place that God has called you to meet. That's, That's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. You're not going to be able to get all that from where you live to the place that God tells you to go. So what do you do? Well, God's flexible. He says, turn it into money. This is verse 25. Turn it into money, bind up the money in your hand, and, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you want, you desire. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you in your household. So in other words... Don't get stressed about this. I know some Christians who say, you know what, unless, unless this giving is done in the most inconvenient way possible, I may not be really honoring God. No, 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 you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Well, I need to give at this time. If I don't give at this time, it's not real giving. If I don't give, you know, when the moon is full or what, you know, whatever it is that, that external requirements we place on ourselves. No, you know what? God says, joyful giving allows flexibility. To the Israelite, he says, hey, you're off in this place. You're supposed to give here. Don't, oh, I got to get all this stuff here. Drink, sell it. Come here. Buy whatever you want. You don't have to buy exactly what you sold there. Buy whatever your heart desires. Give it to the Lord. And also, you're going to be engaged in and enjoying it yourself. This should be both a challenge to us and to an, an encouragement, right? It's a challenge because none of us can say, you know what, I can't give this, 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 and so I guess I, I just can't give it all. God says, no, 
there are a myriad of ways in which my people can give. For most of us, most of us, it's going to be financial. But for many of us, it's it's for for some of us, it's not going to be at times. Then also, it's it's an encouragement, right? God is saying, "Look, I'm not about you following a cold, law fueled pattern of giving. There, there's no restraint on how you give. There's joy in it, and that brings us." to the the fourth thing to think about, right? Related to this. Joyful giving produces rejoicing. You say, Daniel, that's very redundant. You're just mailing it in. No. Um, What we see is joyful giving, giving with joy, produces joy. And when you have joy in your giving, what do you do? You give more joyfully. look, Look at how he describes it here. So, there, again, there's this picture, and I, this, this part of this passage, again, I, I, I use the word beautiful. Again, again it's, it's just this, this beautiful picture of what relationship with God looks like and joy in giving. You, verse 26, you're, you're taking these things before God, and you're giving some of them to the Levite. You're giving some of them there in this, this place of worship. But there's also this, this portion that you're taking of the tithe, and, and you're just enjoying it as well. You're, you're eating there with your family. You and your whole household are enjoying, you get that? You and your whole household are enjoying the things that you have given. There's, there's this reciprocal relationship. And if you're not experiencing this, you're not doing it right. There have been times with, <laughs> there have been times with my kids where we've, this is when they were younger, mostly, uh, where we've been doing quiet time, we're doing devotional time, and I'm not kidding you, one of my children will have the Word of God in their hand, and they will feel like their sibling is too close, and they'll say, stop touching me! You know, we're reading the Bible! Yeah. I'm praying for, you know, there, there's just, and, and we have to stop and say, hey, you know what, um, I don't think we're doing it right. <laughs> I don't think we get the purpose of, of, of what we're engaging in here. Right? If you find yourself giving in such a way that, that joy isn't being produced and you're not experiencing the joy of, 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 this, of this activity, you're not doing it right. Paul says, look, God loves a joyful giver. Don't, don't give begrudgingly. That's, you're, you're missing it. As a believer gives to the church, as a believer gives to missions, as a believer gives to, to other believers, there's, there's joy that, that it's experienced. I, I look at uh, the church building on a Sunday afternoon, and I see all the care groups there, and I experience joy. Maybe I'm one of the care groups that meets there during the week, and I've given to this building, and yet I'm also enjoying the building. I have given to the youth ministries through giving to the church, and my children are part of the youth ministries, and they're enjoying that. I have joy in seeing them a part of our children's ministry or our Sunday school or whatever it is. I I come to church and I I give, but that doesn't mean it's wrong for me to enjoy the singing or or to enjoy an amazing sermon when a guest speaker is here. Like it's, it's joy. There's, there's, it's okay to enjoy that. And if I'm not experiencing joy from what I've given, I'm doing it wrong, right? 
Joyful giving produces rejoicing. If you don't have a heart of rejoicing as you treasure God, it's not true giving. Fifth principle here, joyful giving supports the worship of God's people. Verse 27 describes the Levite, the Levite within your towns. And what was the Levite to do? The Levite was to support the priests in their priestly ministry and the worship of God's people as a priest mediated between God and his people. And it's one thing to kind of give at the temple or to give the place of worship and you burn the, the burnt offerings and it's really cool. But God says, hey, also, you know what? You need to be giving on a, giving on a regular basis to the Levites. Don't neglect them. Allow your giving to support them as well. Sixth principle here. Joyful giving meets the needs of my neighbor. Notice what's happening here. Look at verse 28. He's described, Moses has described yearly tithing, but then you come to verse 28, and there's this special tithe that takes place every three years. And this is a tithe that goes to the Levite, because he has no portion. And it also goes to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. Then you come into chapter 15. So, hold on, let me just kind of remind us. There's a yearly tithe, then every... Three years, so year three and year six, there's this, this tithe that's, that's given that's, that goes to each individual town that you live. And, and in that town, you kind of have this storage for the sojourner, the widow, the fatherless, the, the Levite. And then he describes the seventh year. So there's year every year, then there's year three and year six, and then there's the, the Sabbath year that we've talked about before. And in the Sabbath year, there's this, it's this year of release. So not only are you giving of a tithe, you're also every seven years releasing debts that people have toward you. And he, des- he describes this. Worked in the fabric of, of their life. Joyful giving here meets the needs of my neighbor. And he, and he says, look, you've got to watch out. Don't, don't begrudge. Don't say, well, you know what, I was going to lend this to my neighbor, but the year of release is coming. I don't want don't to give it to him because if I give it to him or, or to her, then then, uh, you know, they won't have to pay me back. He says, give freely. Don't, don't be begrudging. Joyful giving means that I meet the needs of my neighbor. As I give, I'm a beneficiary, but, but so are you. Now, a couple sub-principles here. First of all, what we see here is that, that lending is giving. As, as we give to, to people, there's, there's no, there's no uh, thing that we're, we're holding on to. As, as I lend, I, I lend, as, as Paul says, expecting nothing in return. We also see there's, there's, there's no limit to the demand to my finances. There's, there's a relational obligation that I have to other believers. And it says here, I open my hand to my, my brother, to the needy, to the poor. I open my hand wide. In fact, verse 8 says, you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, what? Whatever it may be. So there's a yearly gift. There's every seven years. But even, even those, those gifts don't, don't meet my giving joyful obligation, they don't meet the relational demand that we have on each other, there's, there's really no limit for the person who's part of God's treasured possession. 
whatever your need is, I have an obligation to help you meet it. Now, I hope that is encouraging for all of us, no matter where we are. There are going to be periods of your life where you are going to be able to be the the, the person who gives a great deal. And then there are going to be times where you are going to be the person who, by God's grace, receives a great deal. And and both of those things are, are good and great places in God's sovereignty for you to be. And if you are in a situation where you are in need, you need to be a person who allows the church of God to meet those needs. If you are a person who's in a position to give, then you are uh, blessed with the opportunity to, to be a part of meeting those needs and recognizing you may be in a, in a position later to receive, and maybe it's not finances, but other things as well. We don't just give to the church and say, I'm done. We don't just give to missions and say, I'm done. There's an unending obligation, joyful obligation we have to one another to give. Seventh principle here, joyful giving proclaims the gospel. You can turn to chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 26 describes what happens when they come into the land. So here's, again, just more ways that Moses describes what it looks like to be God's treasured possession. He, he describes them, them coming to the land, and there's this ceremony that they're going to engage in at the, at the very beginning, and he, he describes what, what they're to say. They're, they're to say that God has, he says in verse 3, I declare that I've come to the land that God swore to give me. And then in verse 5, this is what you shall say for the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. He's talking there about Abraham and his, where he was living ethnically. He was my father. He went down to Egypt, and this is what they're, this is what they're proclaiming as they come into the land for the first time, and they're giving this tithe, this gift of first fruits. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. What is this? This is them proclaiming through their physical giving the, the picture of, of the gospel that we see in the Old Testament. I was nothing. I was enslaved. God saved and God provided. And so now my giving, all it is is a reflection of, of what has been true of me. Okay? Now that's true in the Old Testament as they proclaim the picture of salvation, of deliverance from Egypt, and it's true for the New Testament believer as we give. I was nothing. I was enslaved in sin. God has provided me with physical blessings and things, with spiritual blessings as well. And, and what I give out of my spiritual blessing and my physical things, all it is is reflection on who I am in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about the gift that's going to the church in Jerusalem. And he says, we're sending it with Titus, a proclaimer of the gospel. Now, why would you send a physical gift with 
a person who's a proclaimer of the gospel because as we give of our physical things, we're proclaiming the gospel message. Joyful giving proclaims the gospel. And the last thing related to this as well, I encourage you to read more of chapter 26 on your own. I wish I had time to read more of it. Finally, joyful giving reveals my true theology, right? Joyful giving reveals my true theology. I say I believe these things about God, but if I do these things with my giving, it shows that I don't really believe these things about God. But look at what the people of Israel do. The people of Israel, they they do what God tells them to do. You're here in verse 12. You finish paying the tithe. Uh, you've given stuff to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. They, 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 they have all that they need. They're filled. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 12, they're, they're filled. And then after you do that, what happens? You say before the Lord your God, I've, I've removed the sacred portion of my house. I've given it. I, I've done all that I, I've needed to do. I haven't transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, removed any of it while I was unclean. In other words, I've, I've done exactly with my physical things what you've told me to do. And then, verse 16, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God. As you and I give with joy, recognizing the value of Jesus Christ, that he is our great treasure, what do we do? We proclaim the Lord is our God. Joyful giving reveals my true theology. As I am excited about meeting your needs, as I am excited about seeing gospel ministry done in and through the church, as I am excited about gospel proclamation throughout the world, as I'm excited about seeing the needs of the poor, the fatherless, the sojourner, as I'm excited about seeing those needs, and I work to meet them through sacrificial, planned giving, what do I do? I proclaim the gospel, and I proclaim the Lord is my God. Joyful giving. And the more I give joyfully in such a way that I proclaim that Christ is my treasure, the more both you and I gain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to give. Thank you for the opportunity to to give to your people. Thank you for the opportunity to give to uh, your work. Thank you for the opportunity to give of ourselves, our very lives for the gospel. And Father, help us not just this morning to say, well, I'll give physical things and then I'm good to go. Help us to give our very lives, the people that you've placed in our, in our lives. Help us to give through our time. Help us to give through proclam- proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors, to proclaiming the gospel to our coworkers. Help us to give everything that we have as we love and proclaim your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.